are you, are you getting excited? There's like 23 days, shopping days left. You know, you're all pumped. Forget Black Friday. Now comes the fun time. I, I like Christmas Eve. That's my day, baby. You know, all the presents I forgot to get, boom, I get them right then. So, yeah. My wife is still hoping that he'll get it done earlier. It's a a different hope than the hope in the Bible. Today we're going to light this wonderful candle we refer to as the hope candle. And it's the first candle in the procession of recognition of the coming of Christ. And the Advent is about that recognition of his coming. And us reminding ourselves of the centrality of Christ in Christmas. That it's about who is present in our Christmas, not the presence that we give. And that when Christ is present in the midst of it, it turns all the gifts into wonderful things. And when he is not, we just kind of tear everything open and toss it off to the side and go for the next one. Because we forget the meaning and the intention that God has for us. So every year we take out these four Sundays, each one representing a different element, hope, faith, love, joy, and the Prince of Peace, the white candle there. So we walk through all four Sundays, and then we finalize in Christmas Eve and have this wonderful light of the world candlelight service, and it's great. If you think I'm pumped, it's because I am. You know, it's like, yeah, it's coming. Christmas is coming, and we can begin to get that excitement. Now, I always wait till after Thanksgiving. I go, no, I'm not doing anything till Thanksgiving's done. I've enjoyed that now, December 1st. Boom, get to get focused, get to get excited, start to look forward to this wondrous day. We get to celebrate the birth of our King, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes people talk about the four candles representing... each one a hundred years following the prophetic declarations that were made to us by Isaiah. He's the one who begins to lay out, and we'll talk about him today. He's the one who lays out for us the prediction, the prophecy, the clarification that Jesus would come some 430 years later. And so each candle sometimes represents a hundred years. So each a hundred-year-old candle. Pretty cool, huh? So that gives you a little picture there. And then as we say, each one represents a different element that we focus on. And today's element is, is that of hope. Now, new thing that we've got going on now that I want to encourage you to do. How many of you guys have a smartphone? How many of you have a smartphone? Okay, some of you have dumb phones. That's okay. Some of you have smartphones. My, the reason it's called a smartphone is because it tells me what I need to do. I look at it. It tells me what time to get up. Tells me when to, it tells me everything. I love my smartphone. Well, in that smartphone... Some of you may have an app there. If you're truly a Christian, you already have this app. Okay? And that app is called Holy Bible. How many of you got the, the Holy Bible app or something like it? Yeah. Well, the reason I use that one is because it's been so advantageous in helping us with a variety of, of special, special things. And the Holy Bible app, if you have that one, you, if you click on it, and you, it'll open up, then it'll go to plans. And you click on plans, and then it says fill in what you're searching for, and then you type in Christmas. Type in Christmas, and you'll find about five different terrific, wonderful apps. And that gives you 
for anywhere from 25 days. I've got a 25-day one and a 15-day one and a 5-day one that I put in for Christmas. So there's a 25-day one, and every day it gives you a different devotion. And one set of them gives you a special song. So you get to click on it, it goes to a special song, and you get my wife turn me on to that one. And you get to listen to the song after you get done. It's like, wow, this is cool. There's so many great songs. But I would encourage you today, it's December 1st, so this is the time, to go back, find one of those apps that you like, walk through it, say, I like this one, click it in, and make that the one that you're going to work through this entire month of December as you prepare yourself for the coming declaration of the birth of Christ. Okay, so the whole world's going to do it. It's an amazing day. It's an incredible day. But we're going to do something amazing right now. I'm going to ask Anthony and his wife, Brenda Garbaskis, to come down. And they're going to light our candle here today. And what we usually have is we have a special light by one of our families, and they normally share with us some Christmas tradition that they appreciate that's worked well in their family. Now, Anthony is all the way from Iraq, so you ought to give, give him a hand. You know, I, I said Iraq, and it's Iran. I'm sorry. He doesn't want to be in Iraq. He, might, he wouldn't have made it back if he was in Iraq. I don't know. What can I say there? One of those kind of things. And so he's been working down there. It's not, he's not in the service right now. He's just in the, oh my goodness, what am I doing in Iran, yeah, I got you, that's what he's doing. But he's making it, he's here for a couple of weeks with his wife to enjoy some time before he has to go back, and how long before you get back with us? Uh, one week now, and then I'll be back uh, about two months. Two months, well, nothing to two months, that's like nothing, that's like paperclip time. You know, that's when I was in the service, we had 60 paperclips, we would do one every day, okay, man. Yeah, every day is like Oh, every day is like a thousand. It's like being in God's house. Every day is like a thousand days. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, oh, well. It's going to be better this time, buddy, because we, well, it, it's, it's good to have you back with us. I know your wife's excited and just, ah, oh, get to see my husband again for at least a couple of weeks and take some break and enjoy yourself. And, you know, I think we can do that. So good stuff. So you guys, this is the candle you're going to light, and that's the hope candle. So why don't you go ahead and light that. Light it up for us if you can make that thing work. It's tricky. It is tricky. They, they've gotten so they they do these great things. They have all these uh, makes it so you can't light them. Is what I call. Yeah. It's, childproof. Yeah, childproof. <laughs> they childproofed it. All right. They adultproofed it too. Wonderful. Candle of hope. Now share your tradition. Anything you like. Uh, well, Brendan and I have been together now for about six years, and uh, for majority of that, I've been away. Like I'm away this year again. So we haven't really uh, started our own real tradition yet, but we've been following Brenda's. Uh, parents' tradition, but I do like like to say uh, that we start off the Christmas season with uh, thankfulness to God for the blessings that we currently have, and then as the month goes on, we end up with the thankfulness for the blessings that God's promised us in the future of ever, everlasting joy. So we kind of start from today and we just move throughout the month to everlasting joy. But uh, Brenda will quickly detail what we we do together with our family <laughs> we actually met six years ago today so it's great we love thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he remembered that yeah. <laughs> um so yeah he, he did yeah. i think he does oh yeah yeah he did because i say it five absolutely times. Yeah. um but uh, we, we spend our Christmas with my family, and uh, we start, my father's a pastor, so we start on Christmas Eve with a candlelight service, and then um, we go back to my mom and dad's house, and my mom makes a prime rib roast, and then we open one gift, which is always hideous pajamas. Mm. And so we wear those, and all of my brother and sister and their families come over, and we all spend the night at my mom's house, and um, we wake up in our hideous pajamas. We have great photos. 
And before we start to open gifts, as long as I remember from the time I was a little girl, the oldest member of the family would read the Christmas story. And um, whether that's my grandfather or my dad um, or now my husband, um, we have a little two-year-old and another baby on the way, little girl. Mm, Um, That will be a tradition that we continue because it sets the stage, a sacred moment in the magic of Christmas and Santa Claus. You pause, and I really believe in the imagination of Christmas for kids, but I will never forget that pause of remembering why we're here and that, that gift that we can pass on to our future generations. So. Amen. Give my hand. Thank you so much. Wow. When we talk about this statement of hope, it isn't hope in the sense that we say, I sure hope this will happen. It's this, it's this sense of expectation. It's, it's, this is going to take place. It's the, it's the picture of my uh, oldest daughter as she is out to here. And she's in the last few weeks and she's saying, I just can't wait till the day this baby comes. It's that kind of hope. Oh, I hope it's soon. I hope it's soon. And, and that's the direction. And so we find Sarah and Sydney get born and we go, yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's the hope candle. And it's about God's word, God's breath speaking to us and bringing forth that which we thought was never, ever possible. Breath of heaven, the voice of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the movement of God in our lives. When we talk about Christmas, we're talking about this wondrous time in which we remind ourselves that God invaded the earth. He came down and with his son dealt with the the presence of sin. And uh, he dealt with the power of sin. And he destroyed the penalty of sin. It's this wondrous invasion of God. And we call it Christmas. It's a big, big deal. Because it reminds us of who God is, of what he's all about, and what he wants to do in our lives. And today's the first Sunday in our Christmas series as we begin it. And today we're going to talk about the issue of hope. Hope. You know, what is it? What's it all about? How does it affect us? And we're going to look at the book of Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to grab a hold of them and open them up to that book of Isaiah. This amazing book that every time I have to deal with it, I go, oh man, it's 66 chapters. How am I going to get through this thing? Uh, and that's as a pastor I'm saying that. So I'm going to help you today to get a better handle on the book of Isaiah so that with three chapters, you can deal with the majority of what he wants to say and you can skip all the rest. Just read the three chapters and you'll be happy as a clown. That's not totally true, but it's a good idea. These three chapters, chapter 7, chapter 9, and chapter 53, deal with the issue of hope, and specifically, how Jesus is our hope. Isaiah's wonderful understanding of this glorious God-child that would be born to us. Now, this particular book was written about 700 years before the birth of Christ, about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And that alone should cause you, once you read Isaiah 53 and 7 and 9, to go, oh my goodness, this is incredible. How did all this get put together? 
how could God have been so specific in his clarification about the birth of Jesus and all that would take place? He would give dates, times, places, everything that we needed to. Amazing prophecies are fulfilled. And as you read through this book, that's really what you want to focus on, is about the hope-filled prophet, Isaiah, because that's what he is. He's this hope-filled prophet because he will not see these things come to pass in his lifetime. All these prophecies that he speaks of will come to pass some 700 years later. Some 700 years later. Now, Jesus obviously loved the book. He starts quoting from it when he begins his ministry. That's where he starts. And he ends his ministry with Isaiah 53 and the declaration of truth on the cross. Marvelous, marvelous understanding. And perhaps that's one of the major reasons he's called a major prophet. A major prophet. It's because he speaks so much about the Messiah and his coming, but also because, quite simply, it's 66 chapters long. So that's probably another reason he's called a major prophet. Some would even say it's an indicator of the Old and the New Testament because some of you remember that the entire Bible is 66 books and there's 39 Old Testament chapters and the first 39 chapters of Isaiah seem to correspond uh, to the law of the Old Testament and the next uh, set of chapters, 27, seem to correspond to the grace that we find provided for us through Christ in, in the New Testament. Isaiah's name actually means Jehovah saves. Isaiah means Jehovah saves. And he's alive for 50 years. His ministry takes place 50 years, 50 years long, his prophetic ministry. He actually goes through four different kings, reigns of four different kings while he's alive. During his life, the northern kingdom of 10 tribes, what we refer to as Israel, okay? the northern kingdom, 10 tribes, we call it Israel, was destroyed. And all the people were led into captivity. Israel is completely destroyed. King, everybody, led into captivity. And in the south, in the south, there was the land called Judah. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And there was a lot of cultural corruption going on. And after Isaiah speaks to this particular issue of Israel, then he moves from there and he becomes the prophetic declaration to all of Judah saying, you guys got to stop doing what you're doing. You need to get turned back to the reality of who God is and what he wants to do in your life. You need to stop doing these things and start doing things. Get away from idols, stop worshiping them, stop continuing to live your life in corruption, in sin, calling things right that are wrong, calling things good that are evil. And that's the declaration he speaks over and over again to Judah. In fact, in Isaiah 1, 4, he says, Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt. And then he begins to show how God can deal with their sin and their guilt, how he can remove it, how he can speak to it. He's a bold, bold prophet. He's always longing for something more. He believed something was coming. Even though his culture was so corrupt, he believed that God was going to step in and do something special. He's got one cry where he says, Oh, God, that you would rent the heavens and come down and straighten out this mess Make sense out of the confusion. Bring peace to the problems. Dispel the darkness. Exterminate all this evil. He's hungry to have the Holy One enter into this broken world and put it back together. 
His desire is to see God do something amazing, miraculous, powerful. But in his lifetime, it rarely takes place. Despite that, his ministry is a declaration of hope, believing that God would come down. And today we're going to look at this composite picture of Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, in which we get a clear understanding of what Christmas was intended to be and what it's all about. What it was intended to be and what it's all about. He gives us a sign in chapter 7. He talks about the sign. Then he moves to the sun in chapter 9. And lastly, moves to God's signature in 53. So we got a sign, we got a sun, we have a signature. Can you say that with me? A sign, a sun, a signature. Okay, so now you've got Isaiah memorized. Isn't it great? You guys are good. A sign, a sun, a signature. The sign, Isaiah 7. King Ahaz is on the throne. He's an evil king. He's disobeyed God. His kingdom is under attack. He's in big, big trouble. It says, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And instead of turning to the Lord, he begins to think about partnering with Assyria, which is an evil empire, which will turn against him. And God sends Isaiah the prophet to help King Ahaz make the right decision. So that's the picture. There's incredible stuff going on. There's wars and rumors of wars, you might say. It's, it's happening now. They're looking at destruction. He said, I've got to get help. But instead of turning to God and saying, God, I'm going to depend upon you and trust in you, he said, I'm going to go after all these other things and get help that way. I'm going to call on everybody and everything else. Isaiah shows up. And he says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all, verse 9. Or if you have no belief, you'll find no relief. God tells him then, he says, ask for a sign. Ask for a sign so you'll believe this is from me, that I will take care of you. And Ahaz says, nah. I don't want a sign from God. I don't care what he says. I don't care what he thinks. I have no interest in that. I will take care of this situation myself. And Isaiah is shocked. He's shocked. He's like, are you kidding me? Dude, you're like, you're ready to die. You're about done. And you won't ask God? You won't allow God to give you a sign? I don't want any stinking sign from you, is what he says. I want nothing from you. So he responds this way. He says, hear now, you house of David. There's some disdain in it. It's not truly David's house. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the presence and patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we will call him what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it's very interesting. Ahaz says, I don't want to hear a sign. So God gives him another sign, but it has nothing to do with what's actually going to happen to him. Instead, he gives a sign what's going to happen in the future because he's done. It's kind of what's going on here. God's saying, okay, you're done. I'm going to give a sign to the entire world, a sign that will be for all the people. Wait for the sign. This sign will be for you. It's actually a plural statement. Do you remember in Luke 
2 verse 10 and he says, Do not be afraid, the angel says this, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the what? People, all the people. He said, be for all the people. And the sign will be this, a son will be born to you, born to a virgin. No ordinary pregnancy, no ordinary birth. A virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son. That's definitely a God sign. Wouldn't you agree with that? That's definitely a God sign. I don't know anybody else. It's never happened before, never happened since. It's not going to happen. It only happens one time, a sign that God's going to give. The son would be God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Not Jesus' proper name, but an attribute, a clarification of who he was. From the point of his miraculous birth on, God would be present among his people. All this took place, as Matthew said, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. What prophet? Isaiah. Through the prophet, the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now we've got 700 years before God has said this is going to happen. Now, finally, finally, it happens. Did Ahaz understand this? No. Did Isaiah understand it? Well, actually, I'm going to give you a quote a little bit later. It appears that he did. It appears that he did, but it was not fulfilled during his lifetime. It was a prophecy focusing on the future, given to all the people so that God could be with all people for all time, a sure sign of his presence. But that doesn't end there. So first we got a sign. But then he goes on, moving to Isaiah chapter 9. So we flip a couple pages. We go, oh, now I'm in Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 1 there. The son's going to be born of a virgin. Here would be God's one and only son. The original birth announcement was made, though, in the midst of grief and gloom. So verse 1 says, nevertheless, regardless, this is going to happen. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Zebulun. Naphtali are tribes from the north of Israel. Okay? They make up the land of Galilee. For many, many years, the people in this region knew only grief. And the reason they knew only grief is because they lived closest to the bad guys. They were on the border through which everybody would come to attack Judah and Israel. So it's like, oh, great. Anything's coming, we get hit first. When I was in the service, I was, I was in a little place called Gabligan, and it was just outside of Munich, Germany. And, it was, and we had the big fence there. And what it was, it was, it was the place between Russia okay, and, and Germany. And this was called the place of last offense. And we had this radar site, and I was, I was in charge of the entire radar site, providing heat. I'd bring over the big machine, open it up, fire it up, and fire it into the stuff because it wasn't done yet. So that was my job. Great job, man. I read books all day long while the heat ran. That's why I did sit there. So I got all my reading done. But the point of this was we were kind of the, we were the place of not really first defense so much as we were the place of, yep, they got hit. They're done. <laughs> now we know what to do. That's exactly, exactly what these tribes were in Galilee. They were the, oh, you've got to be kidding me, tribes. Here we go again. 
destroyed towns, destroyed village, destroyed house. Great, I get to repair it again. So that's the picture of what's going on here. Isaiah tells of a time in the future when the gloom will be replaced with this glorious gladness in Galilee. Where does Jesus come from? The guy from Galilee, right? The guy from Galilee. This will be this wondrous declaration that God himself will come from Galilee. But Christmas burst in incredible grief, as it was in most of our lives. Those who come to know Christ, more often than not, at least it's been my experience, more often than not, we come out of grief and disgust and a sense of desperation. And we respond to God and say, God, I just, I give up. I can't do it anymore. And we respond to him and ask him to come in. While the angels were proclaiming peace on earth, Herod was preparing to annihilate the infants. While Mary was worshiping, other mothers were weeping for their children. Christmas joy is always best understood with the recognition of the struggle of life that's all around us. And the darkness that constantly is trying to permeate the light that God gives. And the wonder of his breath and his presence in the midst of it. If you listen to that song, that was the cry of the song. Pregnancy and birth in a stable, in pain, in question, and wonder what's going to happen next. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? And death, we mourn Mary Alice. Not because we don't realize that she's with the Lord, but because we recognize the presence of death once again is with us. And it's difficult. And we struggle with it. And that's the cry of Christmas. Emmanuel meets us in the midst of our struggle and our pain and our question, and he gives us hope. And we pray and we cry out and say, God, God, help me. And he does. And miraculously, once again, he shows himself that the people walking in darkness see a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that's how Jesus begins his ministry. That's how Jesus starts in relationship to the people that he's called to. I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve service. We get to light the candles and we do all this special stuff and everybody goes around, you know, it's kind of this big peace thing and all the kids are like, yeah. We're all singing silent night. It's this great, cool, like, wow, God's, God's here with us. And my, my daughter reminded me, Dad, don't do all this other stuff. Just, just do that. Just sing some carols and read the story and you just get to soak in the awe. And it's like, the light of God comes. We go, wow, this is so cool. And then we move into Christmas. We move into celebration of his birth. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. They will always have with them the light of life. So I got with Mary Alice her last day, you know, and got to 
laugh and we're just rejoicing over God. And she says, I said, you're going to make it another day. Gary's here. Hi, Gary. And, and she said, you're going to make it. I said, you're making it till Gary gets here. Knock it off. It's like, oh, no, I'm not going to make it. Are you going to make it till Gary gets here? Don't worry about that. And she kind of perked up and laughed a bit, and she got better. And, and Gary came, and they got to share together and rejoice kind of for their last little thing and the last bit of lights for her life. And then she went into the light because she's never, ever left in dark. Do we get the shadow of death? but we don't get the finality of death. And that's the wonderful thing, the light of life. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness. Isaiah 9, 4 says, we read that the enemies of Israel had burdened the people with bars across their shoulders. Isaiah 9, 4, bars across their shoulders. But when the light of life comes, the yoke is shattered. So Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, hope, peace. Thank you, Lord. I sure appreciate that light. In the place of burdens, God gives us blessings. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. See, it's not on mine. It's on his shoulders. He will be the governing agency. He will take care of everything. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. To us, the child, the son is born, the baby given for our benefit, this wonderful, indescribable uniqueness of Jesus, God in a bod. You know, a baby and he's God. And I'm going, whoa, how do I handle this? He won't speak as a baby to me, but yet he is fully God, embraced by all that God is in this small package that is so fragile and so easily broken. And God says, don't worry, I will protect him. Have no fear. His time will come when I decide. When I decide. And that's where we get the idea or the concept. When it's your time, it's your time. They always say it. People tell me, well, you know, Pastor, when it's your time, it's your time. And I'm like Robin Williams. I said, yeah, but what if it's the pilot's time? <laughs> I said, well, if it's your time, it's your time. <laughs> God has a time for us. There's a calling. There's an intention. It, just as there was a time for Jesus. He's born. He lives, he ministers, and at the right time, he gives his life for everyone. Wow. Unto us, a son is born. He's a sign. He's a son birthed in Bethlehem. The government upon his shoulders. This wonderful counselor, redeemer and ruler, amazing, unexplainable. The word counselor is for lawyer. It means that he's able to set out the case in front of us no one can defend against. It's always won. He's 100% winner every single time. They don't even bother to go against him anymore. This is done. It's a done deal. He is the wonder counselor, the mighty God, able to rescue us from whatever takes place in our life, whatever chaos and struggle and confusion. Fusion. He said, I can pull you out of that. He's a prince of peace. The shalom who makes life work in the midst of struggle and difficulty. The prince of peace. 
a hand will remind us of it in this great, great song. Let's see if we can listen to that. Let's see if it kind of starts floating for us here. We want to listen to the whole thing, but that's okay. Isn't it? What a terrific, terrific set of music God gave to this guy to lay it out, handle. Wondrous declaration of this prophetic quote from Isaiah himself. The sun, the sign, and then lastly, the signature. Isaiah 53, my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. People know this, you know, when I visit them because they say, Pastor Lee's always pulling out Isaiah 53 on us. Then we're struggling, he's pulling out Isaiah 53 on us. We're happy, pulls out Isaiah 53 on us. Whatever, here comes Isaiah 53 one more time. So yes, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, and like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted by him, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Often wondered, how much did Isaiah know about this Emmanuel? He speaks so clearly and so intensely about him. He understands the God's sign. He sees the God's son. He recognizes the signature, the hope of the world, the hope of glory. Well, listen to John 12, verse 41, when John says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Father, today we asked that you might grant us this wondrous privilege of understanding your birth. Boy, I went some 20-something years and didn't have a clue. Christmas was about Santa Claus and trains and trees and nonsense. It was fun, though, Lord. It was still so much fun. It was the best day of the year, by far, bar none, despite the fact that I knew you not and I understood nothing, yet It was the best day of the year. Oh, Lord, I so looked forward to Christmas. And then came that special day, uh, that day when I got to spend Christmas with you. When for the first time in my life, I finally understood what it was I'd been celebrating for 20-something years. The son who showed up because of the sign and put his signature in my heart said, this is mine. (laughs) And Father, you became my Father. You declared me chosen. And you called me into your kingdom. Lord, today, there may be some here who haven't experienced that wonder of your Son redeeming their hearts. So I'd ask, Lord, that, that you might do that. That as we've talked about these wonderful prophecies, 
and declared the hope, I ask that you might grab a hold of these hearts here, those who are wondering and wandering, and that today, today, Lord, this is you did for me some almost 30 years ago, they might come, shoot, 40, to know you. That they might today see, oh, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Change me right now. You died so I could live. I come before you. I accept your death on the cross for me. I believe you died for me and me alone, and I offer you my sins. And I say, Lord, take them, please. And give me hope. Give me hope. Today, Lord, give them hope. We desperately need that hope of Christmas. Let it happen. Each one here, they don't know you. And for those that don't know you that we know about, help us to share that hope with them. So they too, this Christmas, might sing, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, today. And experience the change. Thank you. Isaiah, thank you for these wondrous words. We give you praise, Father. Jesus' name.